two weeks ago on Easter Sunday, I had this um, huge privilege of teaching about how we have this relationship with God. And at the core of it, I said, if you read an English Bible, our translation of the Old Greek, that it says again and again, it says either um, believe in Jesus, have faith in Jesus, or trust in Jesus. And I said that, that uh, when you translate from the Greek, it all comes from the same Greek word. The word is, is pistuo, and so they all mean the same thing. And, and then I talked about, and this was very crucial to it, I talked about what it means biblically to, to believe in or have faith in or trust in Jesus. And I said, at the core, it's, it's two things to ask him. One is to ask him to forgive every sin of your life and have his faith and belief that, that he has the capacity and the desire to do that. And if we ask him to do that in faith, he will forgive every sin of our life. And the other part is to ask him to lead our life. It's to surrender leadership to him and say, I long for you to take my life and lead me, and my desire is to follow you. And so Easter Sunday, there were 65 people that said, that's what I'm doing today. I'm, I'm asking you to forgive me and to lead my life. And so in their lives, as happens in, in any life when someone says authentically, forgive me and lead me, in their lives, in that very moment that they prayed that, then every single sin was forgiven. Barrier between them and God blown away. Relationship with God begins. Uh, there's, God changes something at the fundamental core of who they are. He puts a new heart in them. He did on that day a new spirit in them. He begins to change them. Their eternal address changes. And whatever happens in their life on earth from here forward, which is substantial, massive, massive trade-up for the remaining days here, the, the biggest win of all, would you agree, is heaven? Eternal address changed to heaven on that day for them. Massive deal then, massive deal. And so this is what I want to talk about today, is, is that the way, the only way someone gets heaven someday is to ask Jesus to forgive them and to lead their life. And, and their heart's desire would be to begin, for him to begin to lead their life. But I would pose the question, because I suspect maybe some of you have or will someday, I would pose the question why God would limit heaven to those people. Uh, where is the grace in bounding it upon only upon those who would ask forgiveness and ask him to really lead? There's some really good people that have walked this planet. I'm sure there are many in this room that have walked this life much better than I have. They're really good people. What about the really good people? Uh, why, why not let them in as well? They're the best of the best on the planet. Or what about those that maybe you wouldn't say they're the best, but you would look at their life, God would look at their life and see they have authentically, they've yearned to be a good person. And they've tried their very best. They've given their very best. Where, where's the grace for them? What harm would there be for God to let them into heaven as well? And there's, there's one huge foundational problem. If God let them into heaven, heaven would be destroyed. And, and this is why I say that. It'd be just a matter of time, even though they're doing their very best, just a matter of time before they sin. And very quickly, heaven would just become another earth. Okay, let, let me walk you through some of this because this is really key about it. Uh, I want to walk through with you a case study, a real-life case study of history that I think will unpack what I just said about one person who enters heaven. One person who sins once in heaven will begin to unravel everything in heaven. And heaven becomes just like earth. The case study is this. It is there was a time when you study Scripture that we see God had created two perfect places. He created heaven, he created earth. You can read Genesis chapters 1 and 2, you see the Garden of Eden, you see that it's this, it's this perfect world. 
it says there that Adam and Eve had this, this intimacy with God. The picture of it is such that, that he would, the, it's just the picture trying to show us the intimacy of God walking with them in the cool of the evening. This perfect, unbroken relationship with God. It says that their relationship as husband and wife was, was so intimate and so close and so tight and so beautiful that it says they became one. There were no divisions. There were no frictions. There was this perfect relationship between them. God had given them this great purpose. They were the ones challenged with, with developing out this planet. I mean, talk about a great purpose. It says God gave them every single provision for life. They had every provision they would ever need. And, and this was set up to go on forever. And no death, no end. This would go on forever. This, this, was, this was heaven on earth, two perfect places. We have no idea how long that ran. It may have run a short while. It may have run a long, long time. But, but we get there pretty quick in Genesis. We flip to chapter 3, which is like on page 3. And the first five verses of Genesis, it says, There came a day where Adam and Eve felt this temptation. That it suggested to them that God, who had given them all of this, was holding out on them. And the suggestion was, you know, you know, you don't have to really follow God. You don't have to surrender to his leadership. You don't have to yield his leadership. You can become God yourself, which all that is is like you just make the decisions for yourself. You don't need another God. You can, make, you can be a better God than he is for you. And there was only one limitation God had put on them at that time, and it was of all that was on the planet. There was one tree, and he said, you can have everything and anything except the fruit on one tree. And it seems like such a small, insignificant sin because they picked a piece of fruit off and they ate it, but the sin wasn't picking the fruit off. The sin was saying, we will no longer surrender to your leadership. The idolatry of, we'll be God now. We don't need you to be God. And, And instantly, Scripture says, the relationship with God was severed. It was severed. And for the first time, they experienced shame, for the very first time. For the first time, they experienced fear. For the first time, they experienced blame against each other. And their relationship became very, very difficult and often very, very damaging between the two of them for the very first time. Their work, for the first time, became a struggle and difficult and often painful. And the clock was set on their life, and there was an expiration date, and they would die. It it all began to unravel. Why? I mean, one single thing they said, I will no longer surrender to your leadership. I'll just become a leader of my own life. That's what happened to their life, but I want you to ponder with me what Scripture says happened to this planet with that one sin. In Romans 8, verses 20 and 22, Paul lays this out. He says, and this is about going back, reflecting on that very first single sin of Adam and Eve. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pain of childbirth right up to the present time. And so this is saying that 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 one sin ravaged the entire fabric of planet Earth and life on planet Earth. That one sin ravaged everything. It's like God's created things with these threads of righteousness and it only holds together with righteousness. This one sin severed all those threads and, and everything that's spilled out from that has been ravaged ever since. Every natural disaster that has come, this passage says, every single disease that has emerged, every single thing can be traced back to that one single sin. 
None of that existed before. This was, this was heaven on earth. This was heaven on earth. And, and the, wor- the earth was wrecked by Adam and Eve deciding they would no longer surrender to God. And every sin since, yours and mine included, has just added to the wreckage. And, and I can say this with, with great clarity, I hope to you, that every single sadness and sorrow and loss and pain you've ever known can be traced back to that one first sin. I mean, every single thing of harm and damage. Why? God, when, when God tells us what are the sins and he tells us the things that, that we are not to do versus the things we are to do, it's not that he arbitrarily just picked out some things and said, you know, I just don't like those things, so I'll label them sins and, and I'll keep you, I will command you not to do those things. God, God simply looked at everything that does damage and harm and put the label sin on it. It's his way of saying, if I put the label sin on it, you've got to know it's going to do damage and harm. It's going, it's going to diminish. It will steal, kill, and destroy. That's what it is. And so, so every single thing that you've ever experienced of pain, loss, suffering, sorrow ha- has come from sin. Now, here's some really good news, okay? At, at this point, are you ready for good news? <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. The good news is this, is that while God allowed this earth to be ravaged by sin, he will never, never allow heaven to be ravaged by sin. Never. Revelation 21, 27 says, nothing evil will be allowed to enter, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry, which, by the way, is idolatry is putting anything else in the position God should hold. Um, uh, so anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Nothing evil will ever enter heaven. It will never be wrecked. It will never be ravaged. It will always be the perfection of heaven, always. But suddenly when I think about that, there's some words that Jesus speaks in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, which is filled with profound truth and also filled with so much grace. In verse 548, he makes a statement that probably has stopped a lot of us in our tracks. He said, but you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And most of us, when we read that, we think, whoa, (laughs) I'm never going to get there. And so most of us might just kind of go ahead and go on past that and go to the rest of the stuff there. But, But doesn't this suddenly have, in context, doesn't this make some profound sense? If, if heaven will never have any evil ever enter, any idolatry ever enter, doesn't this suddenly make some sense? Jesus is saying, you have to be perfect. Heaven is never going to be wrecked, never ravaged. He's saying, therefore, the only way, the only way you have entrance is you have to be perfect. You have to be perfect. So that qu- quickly begs the question, who could possibly be perfect? Hey, who could ever go to, to heaven and never sin? And I'm not talking about go to heaven and make it a whole day without sin. Or a whole year without sin. Or a hundred years. I'm talking about eternity. Who could ever do that? Who could ever do that? Well, well this is what happens when you or I say to Jesus, forgive me and lead my life. This is what happens when we surrender leadership of our life to Jesus. Surrender reverses the fall that happened in Genesis 3 reverses the fall. We do what Adam and Eve failed to do. We say to God, we said, do with my life what you will. That's what surrender is, isn't it? 
if we're saying, I give you full leadership, I want you to have full leadership, we're saying, do whatever you want with my life. This is what God will do. This is his desire for the life of all on the planet. In Romans 8, 29, it says, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. He chose them to be like his son. His intent is, and if you've um, begun this life of following Jesus, his intent is to make you just like Jesus. And, and he is, Jesus is eternally flawless and holy. His plan is to make you just like Jesus. If you're a Christ follower, your life is, is being transformed now to the likeness of Christ. It's probably with most of us, at least for me, it's, it's a gradual process, and it's often two steps forward, one back, and sometimes not that well, but, but, but you're being changed to be like Jesus. That's what's happening. If you're really surrendered to Jesus, if, if this is the life you've begun, then you're becoming more and more like him. And this is what God says that he's doing. In Philippians 2.13, and this is speaking to those who have surrendered leadership to Christ, it says, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. And so, just do a little thought process. If you're a follower of Christ, he's working in you to give you that desire. This, and maybe you recognize that, that if you've been following him for a week, your desire is stronger now than a week ago. If you followed him for a year, or you think back, it's, it's stronger. Just the, the yearning to follow him. I've been following him for three plus decades, and i got to tell you, my yearning to follow is more than ever before. He, he's given us the desire and He's given us the power to do what pleases him increasingly. The transformation, his intent, the transformation is happening now, being made step by step, like decision by decision to follow, 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 to become like Jesus. And then in Philippians 1, 6, this profound promise that I hope, I hope you hear the significance of this. And I'm certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. The work he began within you, what is that? It's making you like Jesus. And he's saying, it, it will go to completion. You, you will become like Jesus. You will become the perfect man or woman. And then some verses that talk about when that finally is complete. 1 John 3, 2 says, Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he's not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. We will be like him, for we'll see him as he really is. In the moment, the moment you see Jesus face to face, the transformation will be complete. It, it will be totally complete. One more, a huge promise and huge hope and encouragement. 1 Corinthians 15, 49 says this. Just as we are now like the earthly man, which is Adam, we will someday be like the heavenly man, which is Jesus. We will be like Jesus. Having the very character of Christ, eternally, flawlessly, holy. And friends, that is, that is good news. Jesus saying, you have to be perfect. Your Father in heaven, you have to be perfect. And God didn't stop there and say, uh, good luck. <laughs> Hope you figure it out. He said, I've, I've made the way. 
God made the way through my son who died on a cross and rose from the dead. And, and the key, like, like the linchpin that changes all of it, that makes it all possible, is asking forgiveness and asking him to lead your life and, and surrender life to him. This is very important. God will never force anyone to become transformed into the likeness of his son. He'll never force anyone. As, or if you don't want that, in one sense, a small sense, it's good news. <laughs> Very small sense. Good news. He won't force you. You don't want it, don't worry. You'll never be made like Jesus. You won't want it. it, it it's, he'll never do that. It would be like forcing someone to marry you that doesn't want to marry you. If you have any sense at all, you would never do that. That just doesn't work. I mean, it, God will never, never force anyone. And, and so it's, it's, this, it's this decision that you have and I have. It, it, we choose our own destiny. We choose our own destiny. That, and so, so if, you, if you never cross this bridge, beginning a new life and saying, my whole trust is based upon you forgiving me and leading me. Here's, here I am. You'll never become that man or woman. And you'll never enter heaven. You'll never enter heaven. But if you do cross that bridge, it's guaranteed you will. It's guaranteed you will become like Jesus, perfect, holy in every way. There's this imagery given in Revelation 20, verses 11 to 15, and very profound. It's, it talks about what happens, what will happen someday when Jesus returns to the planet and when, when Judgment Day happens. And some very striking imagery in it. It says... And I saw a great white throne, and the one sitting on it, the earth and the sky fled from his presence, and they found no place to hide. And it's, it's so awesome. <laughs> like the earth and the sky, <laughs> they, they run. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne, and the books were open, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done. Don't miss that. I'm going to come back to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their deeds. I'll come back to that. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death, and anyone whose name is not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So there'll come a day in history when Jesus returns, and it will be this profound judgment day. And, and it says, in essence, it says that there's this book of life, and those whose names are in the book of life, they won't be thrown into the lake of fire. They'll, they will live eternity in this perfection of heaven. In both times, it talks about the people that aren't thrown into the lake of fire. It talks about their deeds, what they've done. And yet, being right with God is all about belief and faith and trust. How do those come together? Jesus tells us how in John 6, 29. It says, Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. No, this is the only thing I want you to do. This is the only deed. It's the only one that counts. Believe in the one he has sent. Or have faith in the one he has sent. Put your trust in the one he has sent. It's the only thing. The only thing, then, is to ask Jesus to lead and then give you all to follow best you can. But what spills out of that is everything else that's godly is originated out of that one plea of surrender, doesn't it? Isn't it? You begin to follow Jesus, and if, you've, if you're in that camp, you know this. 
as you search him out and you listen to him and you read scripture, he shows you what to do. And, and because he says so, you do it. And, and, and everything else gets added in because you've, you've done the one thing, the only thing that counts and matters. And you've said to him, I, I'm going to trust you to lead. And Christ's very likeness begins to be formed in you. I mean, all of the other things, all the other deeds, all of that begins to come. All of that begins to come. All of that begins to come then. We all long for heaven. I don't know if you are aware of that or not, but I'm quite confident of this, that when you're going through a hard time or a painful time or a difficult time, I am quite confident that you're hoping for those hard times to go away and for good times to come. And there's, there's most likely something that wells up within you that thinks there, there needs to be a day when life begins without all the difficulty and tragedy and hurt and pain and betrayal and death. Uh, this weekend I've been uh, yearning for heaven more than usual. A dear friend is in the process of losing a dear loved one. And the heartbreak and the anguish and the loss and this weekend, for their sake, I'm yearning for heaven more than ever. Because when we yearn for heaven, what, we, what we're yearning for, which is heaven, we're yearning for love that is complete and full and perfect that will not end. For joy unabated, for peace everlasting, for innocence to be there, for companionship, for beauty, for purpose, all those things. We yearn for that unbroken we yearn for a place with no more suffering or sorrow or shame or betrayal or death. We yearn for that. And good news, good news. You ask Jesus to forgive and to lead your life and you breathe your last, you will enter heaven. Good news, the heaven you enter will be perfect and it will never be ravaged or wrecked. Never, never. It will always be that. That is extremely good news. Extremely good news. And Revelation uh, 21, the first five verses begin to unfold. And toward the end of those five verses, it's talking about heaven. It says that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. The one sitting on the throne says, look, I'm making everything new. In chapter 22, verse 3, it says, no longer will, will there be a curse on anything. We, we yearn for heaven. We yearn for heaven. And we get to pick our destiny. We get to, to decide if, if our destiny will be this heaven we yearn for or if it will be the lake of fire. We get to pick. More good news? <laughs> Revelation twenty two seventeen says, Let anyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. You say, if, if you yearn, if somebody that core you being yearns for heaven, God say, I've got good news for you. You got one life, and there's this clear path, and, and you can do what it takes to walk this path. Because there's only one deed, there's only one thing to do that will matter. And say to Jesus, would you forgive me, and would you lead me? I authentically mean it which launches a life of saying to Jesus, I'm, my heart's desire is surrender to your will. C.S. Lewis would once write this. He would say, 
all of your life, and unattainable ecstasy has hovered just beyond the grasp of your consciousness. The day is coming when you awake to find beyond all hope that you've attained it, or else it was within your grasp, and you've lost it forever. Which will be your future? Which is your destiny? It's, it's ours to choose. It's yours to choose. We are concluding this, this series we've been in from the beginning of the year that's been titled Bold. And, and I, I want us to end with two key thoughts in mind. And one is this. At the very end of Scripture, the second to the last sentence says, Come, Lord Jesus. It's expressing those that know Jesus and have, have learned more about him and learned about this life on this planet and the life to come in Jesus. It's expressing that increasingly those of us that know him, when, when we're suffering the brokenness of this world, or someone we love is suffering the brokenness of this world, we, we yearn for heaven to come now. And, and that's what's expressed next to the last sentence of the Bible is, come Lord Jesus. We're weary of, of the brokenness of this planet. And come back, come back now. And, and I want us to ponder that, and I want us to have some thoughts around what that might be like in heaven, all of what heaven is like. And as you ponder that, I hope there are many of you in this room that, that heaven is yours. You've already begun this life of surrender to Christ. You know heaven is yours. I also hope those of you that have never done that, I hope, I hope you would ponder this and you would have just, just one tiny seed of faith, which is enough to say today, would you forgive my sins and lead my life and begin that kind of life? That's what I hope for. And then the, the second thought, besides heaven, I would hope we could end on, is this understanding that as we follow Jesus, that he will invariably lead us into the deep. He will invariably lead us where our feet may fail, where there will be risk, and that's where our faith grows, and that's where the biggest differences are made. That's where we see Jesus most clearly, and that's where heaven and earth meet in those times. And I pray we'll end on not only the thought of heaven, but the thought of until we get to heaven, that we yearn to live with this boldness, stepping into the deep where feet may fail. Father, this is my prayer. Uh, such gratitude, such thanksgiving that while you made two places that were perfect and we have ruined this one, that you see that the, the other place will never be ruined. And I thank you for that. We thank you for that. You're such a good God for that. I also thank you for profoundly that we on our own, apart from you and your son Jesus, we could never be perfect. We would never have access to heaven, but because of your great love and the love and sacrifice of Jesus, anyone can have access by this belief in, this faith in, this trust in Jesus that says from the heart, I, I long for your forgiveness, I long for your leadership. And the life begins of transformation now toward Christ's likeness. It'll be complete one day for us. I, I yearn for that day, Father, for me, for once here where we are truly, we're like Christ in terms of righteousness, sinlessness. But until heaven comes, Father, help us be bold. Help us say yes to everything you tell us. 
Father, give us bold ask. Uh, lead us places that we can only successfully go if you hold our hand and keep our head above water. Lead us those places, and may we go when you lead, Father. I pray all this, and now we express all this back to you in worship. In Jesus' name, amen.